Alright. Here we are. Welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA Podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. My name is Robert Winfrey, and I'd like to thank you all very much for being here. Um, <clears throat> if I sound not great, that's because I am, in fact, at the moment, not great. Um, variety of reasons, some of which I might go into, some of which I might not. But we're going to push through, and that is that is my disclaimer for the rest of the episode. If I'm off, especially my picks, I, I have no confidence in my picks this week. Um, just pretty much none. Uh, I may as well get into that very briefly. So, I was a little bit more upbeat last week, but this time of year, man, it sucks. It sucks for me. Um, I'm not going to say every bad thing in the world that has happened to me happened in this time, in the following time frame, but of the worst things in my life that I've had to deal with, um, I think like four of the worst, four of the five worst, certainly three of the four worst happened between, uh, like the end, like Thanksgiving, end of November and first week or so of March, uh, that, that kind of time frame. So around this time of year, once we get, you know, back end of January into February, my mental health tends to take a bit of a hit. And in my case, this last couple of weeks, that's been manifesting via insomnia, which usually, which also takes a physical toll on you. So if I sound a little bit under the weather, um, I kind of am. <laughs> so thank you for bearing with me. Thank you for your understanding. I, I appreciate all of you. So interact with the product a little bit, if you would, please. Like, comment, subscribe, star rating, written review, all that jazz. I, yeah. I don't like saying it, but, you know... If it wasn't said, it's said for a reason, and I hate that it works, but, eh, whatever. I went over that last week a little bit, so I'll leave that in the past. On the agenda this evening, we have UFC on ESPN Plus 93. The UFC is back in the apex, and they've got, you know, some warehouse fights. I shouldn't be that dismissive. There's a few things here that don't suck. Um... It's it's a little overstuffed, but we'll get into that when we get into that. Uh, then we got um, news, and boy is there news this week. Uh, some of it pertains to the parent company of the UFC. Some of it pertains to the business entity that is bound up with the UFC. Uh, poor John Anik. Um, <clears throat> we'll talk about that, and you know. The news. So that's what we've got for this evening. Uh, yeah, let's jump into it, shall we? So this Saturday, UFC on ESPN plus 93. Main event, middleweight. This fight doesn't suck. Roman Delidze and Nasruddin Imavov. Can I tell you, I do not have a strong feeling about how this fight's going to go. I don't have a good read on it. I've not done my usual bit of tape study which is on me. 
every one of these is still being recorded. If I'm, I might put an asterisk next to the event when it's all said and done. But it's going on the official record, so if, however wrong I am, so be it. Um, I, I don't have much of a strong feeling here. Both guys are good. They're good in slightly different ways. Delitze at middleweight, because he debuted for the UFC uh, up at light heavyweight, didn't like it, made the cut, and then had a four-fight winning streak going into last year. Three of them finishes. Then he lost a decision to Marvin Vittori. Wasn't a great fight, but Vittori's not easy to beat. Um, that was March of last year. He's been inactive since then. Did he have an injury? Yeah. Uh, no, Cannoneer tore his MCL. He was supposed to fight Derek Brunson last year. That was... Yeah, but Brunson left the organization. You can find him in the PFL now, if you're curious. Um, he was supposed to fight Jared Cannoneer. Cannoneer, MCL tear. Now we're here. Um, he's got some... Pretty good grappling. Um, the five rounds worries me for him here a little bit. He's he's had a few cardio issues in the past. Nothing no, nothing earth shattering, but you know you've seen it. And then by contrast, we have Imovov, who's fought five rounds, went five rounds with Sean Strickland, and he lost that fight, but he held his own. He's only lost in the UFC to Phil Hawes and Sean Strickland. He's coming off a no contest with Chris Curtis after they banged heads. Um, Imovov moves a lot. Pretty good at long range. That he can, in theory, he can replicate a fair amount of what Vittori did successfully against Dolidze. I expect a lot of clinching. I don't expect that this is, I'm not going to say it's impossible, but uh, this does not strike me as fight of the night, much less, you know, like fight of the year contender when it's all said and done. This will probably be okay. Um, as for the pick, given that I think Imavov can largely replicate Vittori's success, I'm going to go with Imavov. Um... It's not by a whole lot. The odds on this one are pretty close. They favor Imavavi in just a bit. Minus 150 to minus 170-ish range. So, close. Not going to be shocked if Delidze wins. Um, but I'm going to lean a bit towards Imavavi. I think he's generally shown better class to this point. Better, by which I mean like a better class of skill, not class as an individual. I I don't think either guy's done anything profoundly stupid, so I'll leave that at that. Um, yeah, there's a lot of these I'm just not going to have a whole lot to say about. Some of them are good, some of them are less good. Co-main event is good. Um, in fact, if you were to tell me, circle something that you think is going to be fight of the night, it would be this. Lightweights, Hanato Moicano and Drew Dober. Moicano... He took a near-historic beating when he fought Rafael Dos Anjos and lost. That fight should have been stopped, if we're being honest. Um, 
he's been up and down. At lightweight, though, he's two and four. Excuse me, four and two. He's only lost at lightweight thus far to Rafael Faziv. You could slightly argue the stoppage there. I wouldn't. And then again, Dos Anjos, he took that fight on short notice, and RDA just smashed him for five rounds. But he rebounded by beating Brad Riddell pretty cleanly. Um, he was supposed to fight Armin Saryukian last year. Um, kind of good that he got out of the way of that one. Uh, that would have gone. I think that would have gone badly for him. Uh, Moicano, he's been out for a while. His last official fight was November of 22, so over a year. Um, it's always a bit of a concern, but he's dynamic, hard-nosed, good jujitsu. Good, good wrestling, tough as old shoe leather, man. You look at what Dos Anjos put on him, and he never quit on himself. Like Plenty of guys would have quit on themselves after a handful of minutes of that, much less five freaking rounds. Um, on the other side, we have Drew Dober, who I think he just had a pretty good winning... No, he rebounded by beating Ricky Glenn. So, he's been a bit up and down in the UFC. If you go earlier into his career, way more down than up. But he figured it out. Uh, sort of got on good footing. Has had a couple of three-fight winning streaks. He's just run into some tough guys at the other end of those. First one was Benil Daryush. Like he, he wins three in a row. This is 2017 and 2019. Wins three in a row. Um, good opponents. Runs into Benil Daryush in 2019 and nothing doing. Wins three more. All of them finishes. Congratulations. Now fight Islam Makashev. <laughs> that went badly for him. Lost to Brad Riddell after that. That was a good fight. Wins another three in a row. All of them stoppages. Including one over Bobby Green that was real nice. Um, gets a step up. Sort of. Well, gets a tough fight. And hey, here's Matt Frivola. And Matt Frivola knocked him out. Then he rebounded by beating Ricky Glenn. Dober's tough to beat. He's really kind of found himself. He's aggressive. He's a hard puncher. He's got a good chin. Like he's been. It's not that he's never been stopped, but was Frivola the first one to do it via strikes? Hang on. Okay, way earlier in his career, there was some. Um, so 2011, he loses one via strikes. Decision, 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 guillotine, so submission, 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 decision. Yeah, that was his first st uh, loss to strikes. It was 23. So, 12 years, give or take. Yeah, a little over 12 years, actually, if you go about month, to, if you math it out. He's got a chin, and not just because it's a very well-defined chin. He's he can, He's tough. I don't know how he's going to play against Moicano. This is another close one. This is a well-matched fight. Moicano's, he's very tough, but he's hittable. And Moicano's, his takedowns aren't great. But some of that's because he's, fa like, depends on when he faced, like, very good wrestlers. His jiu-jitsu game is quite good. It's also very opportunistic, which can be tricky to deal with. Dober's shown vulnerability to that. I'm 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 feeling Moicano a little bit here.
But again, not by much. Yeah, the odds are kind of with me on this one. Which I say for educational purposes, not I don't pick by the odds, which hopefully we all you know by now. Um, I don't know, man. Dober, both guys get hit. I think Dober gets hit cleaner a little bit more. He just powers through it. But yeah, I'm I'm gonna lean with I'm gonna lean Moicano. Um, again, not by much. And I am not gonna be surprised at all if Dober pulls this if Dober wins this. But that's a pretty good fight. Uh, welterweights up next: Randy Brown and Muslim Salikov. Um, Brown on a decent run recently. What is that? Five and one in his last six. That's six and one in the last seven. Hang on, one, two, three, four. Yeah, five and one in his last six. That only loss was to Jack Della Maddalena. Prior to that, you had to go back to 2020 when Vicente Luque knocked him out. In his last fight, he beat Wellington Terman, which I... I don't rate that highly at the moment. I, I I want Terman's one of those guys I want to like, but I just he never figured it out. Brown's also there's kind of a clear ceiling with him, right? His UFC losses go as follows: Michael Graves, Bilal Muhammad, Nico Price, Vicente Luque, and Jack Della Maddalena. That's a pretty clear level about you know you can beat guys lower than he's got some good wins. I don't mean to downplay his abilities. He stopped Brian Barberina. He stopped Alex Oliveira. Um, got a good win over Francisco Trinaldo. Like he's not bad, but he's 33, and he's been with the UFC decent chunk of time since 16. So that's what eight years. January of, yeah, January 30th of 16, he made his debut. So this will be just shy of eight years when this fight happens. Um, that's a fair amount. Um, I mean, Salikov, 39, but his only losses in the UFC, Alex Garcia, is a little bit of an odd one. Um, he had a weird fight against Li Jingliang. He lost legitimately, but it's a weird fight. Then coming off a loss to Nicholas Dalby. That was a decent enough fight, though, if memory serves. It was fight of the night that night. Now, Cannoneer and Vittori, your main event. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going off memory, but yeah, that tracks. Um, he beat Andre Fialho before that, did Salikov. Salikov hits hard. 39 is old, man. 39 is old for fighting. I don't care what division you're in. 39 is getting up there. 39. Do I think he's going to be able to overcome... He's going to be at a reach disadvantage. Randy Brown's a long, lanky guy for a welterweight. That's a problem. Brown's... His defense has been an issue, though. He's got good wrestling, but he's got interesting groundwork, I should say. His actual wrestling is a little bit more suspect. Oh. All right, I'm going to go out on a slight limb here. I'm going to pick Salikov. I might feel very silly about this, 
And this might be one of the last times I pick Salikov. Um, not because he sucks, but you know, he's almost 40. And at welterweight, that, ugh, the, the odds are not usually in your favor there. But this matchup in particular, I just... I don't know that Randy Brown's going to be ready for some of the slightly weird stuff that Salikov throws. Then again, Salikov might throw a bunch of that and gas out. So, I'm, I'm, this is an underdog pick for me, but something about Brown's defense just hasn't been, from what I can remember, just hasn't really looked like it's where it needs to be. He might be able to just play range enough to win. So, but I don't know. Just wish I had something better than a bit of a vague uh, feeling there, but I don't know. Just Browns, it's not that he's bad, but he's been stunned before, and Salikov is not a guy you can really have some of those defensive liabilities against. Uh, middleweight's next, uh, Alishkab Kizriev and Mahmoud Muradov. I was pretty high on Muradov for a while. Because um, he came into the UFC with a really long winning streak. Won his first three fights. Trevor Smith, beautiful knockout. Andrew Sanchez, a little bit behind in that fight, but he got it done. Then gassed himself out fighting Gerald Mershart and got tapped. The loss to Kyle Bahalio has aged well. Because um, you know, Bahalio's turns out, he's really good. He beat Brian Barbarena his last time out. That was July of last year, so he's been on the shelf for a bit. It was a, that was a solid performance from him, though. It wasn't, you know, highlight real scintillating, but uh, he absolutely got the job done. And beating And Brian Barbarena's a tough out. Kizriev, by contrast... Have a look at what he's doing. Um, he is undefeated, 14 and 0. 1 and 0 in the UFC. He beat Dennis Tolulin. That poor guy had a lot of fights, dude. Okay, so Hizriev wins his way into the UFC via the Contender Series in 2020. Then he has four fights fall out before he finally makes his debut in 2022. Wellington Terman, Kyle Dawkins, Alessio DiCirico, and then Abus Magomedov. All those fights fell through for one reason or another. Beats Tolulin in March of last year. Has a fight with Jacob Malkoon fall out. This is another tough one. You've got two very... This is well-matched. This is another good fight. you got two very talented fighters here. Muradov, some of his, like, decision-making in cardio has... That's a bit of a question mark here for me. Um, by the same token, man, I almost like a guy who has, like, one or two losses on their record more than the undefeated guy's a lot of the, not every time, but a lot of the time because you know they've had the tough fights, you know they've been tested, you know they've been in those bad positions. Um, Muradov, pretty good chance he'll put Kizriev there. But man, that cardio. 
that cardio issue from Muradov. He's got to fight a very particular pace, and it's not just the cardio. Again, some of it is the decision-making. It's a real tough one. This is another close one. Again, really well-matched fight. Some of the, these middle three fights here, and even the main event, these are pretty solid stuff. I think I'm going to lean Kizriev. Yeah. Um, not by much, though. And frankly, if you're picking Muradov, there's a lot of reason to do so. Yeah, um, Kizriev, favorite, but you know, less than minus 200 most places. Yeah, I think that's about fair. Again, Muradov as a as a dog here. It's not by a lot, so they're not playing with fire. But uh, that's a, that's a pretty good one. It's a pretty good one. All right, welterweights Gilbert Urbina and Charles Radke. I feel like I'm gonna go with Urbina here, but I want to double check. So Urbina, seven and two, came off the Ultimate Fighter, one and one in the UFC. He lost the. Um, okay, he was supposed to be in the finals. That fell apart. He then, or was he the one who got in after he got in via somebody else falling out? Lost to Brian Battle, was out for like two years, came back, um, beat Ryan, uh, Orion Kosi. Now he's actually getting, you know, a slightly more standard UFC fight. Radke is 8 and 3. 1 and 0 in the UFC. Um, he beat Mike Mathetha. Isn't that Blood Diamond? Yeah, that is. Um, Urbina looked pretty good his last time out. Now, some of that, though, like the Kosi's really washed out and probably shouldn't have been in the UFC when they got in. Um... I'm not going to hold the loss to battle too much against him. Brian Battles turned out to be pretty good. Not a world beater yet, but a, certainly a UFC caliber fighter. Whether or not, you know, top 15, yeah, less convinced about that one. And, uh, I don't know, how do I feel about... And Blood Diamond, another guy who just... Should not have been in the UFC when he was. Just way too soon, way washed out, and his career might have been done irreparable damage because of it. Uh, I think I'm going to lean Urbina here, but these these are two guys that it's really tough to make a good pick against a uh, good pick relative to this fight there's just not a lot of relevant recent tape on them but go with urbina we'll see what happens um in your very telegraphed this is what we want to happen fight um molly mccann is fighting diana belbicha um wait, that order might not be accurate hang on 
Let's see who's got the right order. Yeah, that fight's not up yet. Okay. We'll be going by this list. Don't So we'll get to that fight in a minute or two. Don't worry about it. Um, yeah, a minute or two. So, uh, kicking off the main card, it looks like we will have... Does this fight have... No. Oh, yeah, it does. Okay. Not entirely sure, certain of all the bout order here, but this fight is on the main card. Um, Viviani Araujo and Natalia Silva. Araujo beat Jennifer Maya her last time out. Pretty good win. She lost two in a row. Granted, one of those Alexa Grosso. The other, Amanda Hebos. It's not flyweight. Did this one at flyweight? Yes, it is. Okay. Um, Silva, I've been moderately impressed with. Uh, she is undefeated in the UFC. At 4-0, wins over Jasmine Jazdavisius, Teresa Bleda, Victoria Leonardo, and Andrea Lee. I don't like dis—I don't like discounting out Ujo because she's got skill. She's just—she's got a little bit of a cardio problem. She dealt with Maya, but mostly because Maya tried to just box, and they just basically bounced off each other, throwing the same combinations over and over again. Silva's looked a little bit more dynamic, um, all things considered. Yeah, I'm going with Silva. Um, But... I don't. I'm looking at the odds. Sorry, I do not agree with quite how wide these are. The UFC lists this as like minus 340 for Silva, so plus 270 Arujo. Um, that seems like almost three to one on Arujo. Just eh. again, I'm picking Silva, so all I'm saying is that uh, I'm not sure I'd feel comfortable with that much money riding on that. Now, let's see. Women's flyweight. Okay, again, we're kind of monkeying with the bout order here a little bit. I would assume that Molly McCann and Deanna Belbicha will be main eventing the prelims. Um, but, there's again, there's no actually... We know where the break is between the main card and the prelims, but the actual bout order for each one does not look like it's been fully finalized yet, so if these are out of order, I apologize. Um, just kind of bear with me here. So Molly Mc, um, Molly McCann and Luana, excuse me, Diana Belbeach. Where is that other one? Okay. So I'm looking at the different lists here. So, all right. Um, you know, let me just go with my list here so that I have everything in order, at least partially, and however I have to monkey with it later, I have to monkey with it. Um, women's flyweight, Luana Carolina and Julia Stoliarenko. Um, Stoliarenko, way weird record career in the UFC. Only two and four. Coming off a win over Molly McCann, though, um, that was her debut up at flyweight. She'd been at bantamweight before that. The new weight class might be doing her some good. Um, 
Yeah, that was hilarious when she because she did that in the uh, in London for the Aspinall and Tabora car. It was so funny. Um, Luana Carolina. I've been with the UFC since 19. Beat Priscilla Casuela, lost to Ariane Lipsky. That's uh, less than encouraging. Beats Pollyanna Botello, Lupita Godinez, loses to Molly McCann and Joanne Wood, and then beats uh, Iv- beats Ivana Petrovich. That's <sighs> another. There's just this is one of those that's like it's almost impossible to accurately predict what's going on here. Carolina getting knee barred. That's a bit of a red flag. It's a little bit of a red flag for me. Oh, yeah, let's go Stoliarenko. I I think flyweight's a better fit for her. I think she performs better in that weight class, but there there's just a mountain of unknowns there. That I would not feel confident there. Okay, um, Molly McCann and Deanna Belbicha, already mentioned. Um, Molly, I believe, is coming off that loss to Stoliarenko, yes. Two-fight losing streak. She got tapped out by Aaron Blanchfield and then tapped out by Stoliarenko. Um, this seems like they're trying to get her a get-well win. Um, Belbicha is 2-4 and four in the UFC. Only wins over Hannah Goldie and Maria Oliveira. Um, these two fought before, actually. Um, Molly McCann beat her back in October of 19. This is very much a get-well fight for Molly McCann, and I am I think that's how it's going to play out. I'll go with McCann, but... Part of me is going to be rooting for Belbicha because I don't like Molly McCann. <laughs> um... Flyweight, Azat Maxim and Charles Energy Johnson. Good fight here, actually. It's not going to get it much play because the UFC hates the division. Um, Johnson's been up and down, 13 and six overall, but he's had um, two and four, only two and four in the UFC, three fight losing streak. In fairness to him, um, losses. Those are two: Ode Osborne, Cody Durden, and Rafael Estevam. He could have won the Osborne fight. I might have thought he did. I don't remember. Um, that was split, and there was a case for him. Dude, 2023 kind of sucked for him. He beat Jimmy Fleck and then lost his next three fights. Um, the Durden loss was pretty legit. He had a shot at beating Estevam, if memory serves. Estevam gassed in the last round. Um, but Moxham... 17 and 0. I was very. I looked him up before he made his UFC debut, partially because you know I'm, the people who watch more MMA than I do were like, hey, hey, pay attention to this guy. It was technically a split decision win over Tyson Nam, but I scored that for him pretty easily. Um, I've I've been fairly impressed with Maxim. For a little bit. Um, Johnson will probably test him in ways that uh, might be new to him. But on the whole, I like Maxim to 
passed that test, and frankly, I like his overall upside and skill set. So we'll go with Maxim for that one. Welterweight, Tembo Garimbo and Pete Rodriguez. Good old Pete. Um, Garimbo, 11 and 4, made some social media waves on the rock bottom of house. Um, one and one in the UFC, lost his debut to AJ Fletcher, rebounded pretty well against Takashi Sato, had a failed, had a canceled fight with Kiefer Crosby and Mr. Rodriguez, five and one, one and one in the UFC, he drew a real tough matchup for his UFC debut when they threw him in there, I think it was short notice even with Jack Della, and he got, oof, he got handled. He beat Mike Jackson after that, but I don't, like, it's Mike Jackson. He's one of, I've said this about CM Punk, I'll say this about Jackson, like, I think if you, I couldn't walk into the gym where he trains and beat him, I think that's a gross exaggeration of any ability I might possess. But I think if you gave me a good training camp, like, I think that's competitive. <laughs> um, dude, the fact that Mike Jackson got a win his last fight after losing two rounds 10A just because almost 60-year-old Pat Militich was like on the stool between rounds almost having a heart attack. is just... Combat sports. Ain't nothing like it, right? So I don't have a good feet. I don't have a good read on Rodriguez. It's kind of the long and the short of that. Like, you go from coming in against one of the more touted up-and-comers and a guy who's proven to be legitimately world-class in Jack Della to a guy who shouldn't be in the UFC. And then a couple of fights with Natan Levy canceled between two. I uh, there's, there's just a lot of unknowns here is all. Um, and in those cases, I might le- I'm going to lean a little bit more towards the fighter I know have a quick look at something real fast. Garimbo is 6'1 with a 77-inch reach. I remember Rodriguez being a little compact for the division. Yeah, he's 5'9 and 73, so you're 3 inches shorter with giving up 4 inches of reach. Yeah, we're going Garimbo here. I would not feel confident at... Dude, 2-1 on one of these fights... Rodriguez again, like plus two hundred, so it's about two to one. You're again, yeah, that it just feels like you're asking for trouble a little bit. You're not being stupid about it, but I would not feel confident personally. Uh, featherweight, Jung Young Lee and Blake Builder be up next. Uh, Mr. Lee, ten and one. 1-0 in the UFC on a pretty good overall winning streak, right? 3-7. Um, a lot of those were either road or road to the UFC fights. His his debut was against Yiza. Split decision. Vaguely recall that. That's a bad fight if memory serves. Um, Builder, 8-1-1. One, one. Um, had a good debut against Shane Young and then couldn't do much against Kyle Nelson. Um, this is a tough one. Like, 
you're talking about a guy who's ten and one against a guy who's eight one and one. Both like there's less than five UFC fights between them. There's a lot of room for change between fights between these two with, with talent like this. Um. So better maybe a better way to look at that. If you're the UFC, who are you trying to help here? Uh, they might be trying to help Lee a little bit more than they're trying to help Builder. I think there's still a little bit of trying to really legitimize some of these like external avenues that they've created to get into the UFC. And... Yeah, this will be Lee's first fight that isn't, you know... It's not his UFC debut. He made that, but this is his first non-road-to-the-UFC-related like, event. That can be a tough one for younger fighters. I'm not going to discount Builder, but I do think I'm going to lean towards Lee. How old are these two guys? Hang on, sorry. Last stat I need to look up here. Mr. Lee is 28. And Builder is 33. That's an. Im- I normally only acknowledge age differences in fighters if it's like, if it's my coverage, it's eight years. Eight years is my cutoff point. If you're less than that, I leave it alone. But 28 to 33 is a non. That's a non-trivial period. I think I'm going to lean towards Lee. Um, just a bit. And then, almost done here, lightweight Landon Quinones and Markel Med, uh, Medeiros. Probably Medeiros. Um, let's see, Quinones is 7-2-1. Why do these idiots have Lone Wolf as a nickname? A Lone Wolf is a myth, and it dies. Um, he lost to Nasrat Hakparast in his UFC debut. Rough draw for your debut. Um, Medeiros, eight and one. Coming, this is UFC debut. Coming off the contender series, my hunch is Medeiros here. Um, it's just another one where that first one, man, they they might do you some favors. After that, maybe not so much. But that first one. At first one, they'll work with you. So let me go with Medeiros. Um, not going to be, for the record, not going to be surprised one little bit if that goes the other way. Um, not one bit. And kicking everything off, we have heavyweights. Oh, why? Uh, Thomas Peterson and Jamal Poogs. Um, let's have a look here. Poogs has fought in the UFC before. Ten and four, one and one in the UFC. Beat Josh Parisian, lost to Mick Parkin. Peterson eight and one. Um, coming into his UFC debut, he won on the Contender Series. Has a loss to Waldo Cortez Acosta. That's his only loss. Once again, this feels a little bit like they're trying to give the guy coming off the Contender Series a, at least a winnable fight. Poogs did struggle against Parkin, but 
I don't know what Parkin did. I don't know how I don't know how common it is for heavyweights to be able to fight in that particular way. A lot of clenching though. Ugh. All right, let me. I'm play. I'm trying to play the. I'm trying to play like the matchmaking meta here, not necessarily the fight meta. Because I just haven't seen. There's not enough on these guys, so I'm gonna go with Peterson. But again, that's that has this philosophy here about like, hey, how does that has bitten a lot of people, me included, over the at times. So once again, this is not. I do not advise gambling in general, much less based on my picks. Um. Yeah, that's it. So, that's a fair number of fights, right? Yeah, that's... Jeez, are we, what, 13? 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Yeah, 13. That's a bit. That's a bit much. But Saturday, February 3rd, this crappy month will end and another crappy month will begin. Hooray. I'll have it covered, so give it a listen, uh, give it a read. We'll be back here next year, next year, week, of course, to review the whole darn thing. All right, um, let's move on, shall we, to some news. So let's talk about TKO, shall we, everybody? So not a great week for TKO. Um, it started okay. So... This is going to be about the WWE, primarily. Now, if you don't care about professional wrestling, I'm not here to talk to you about professional wrestling. This is about the business side of things. And because WWE and UFC merged to form TKO, I have to talk about it, at least a little bit, when something big happens. And boy, did a couple of big things happen. So let's talk about the positive one first. Um... It's long been known. It's been known for a while that the WWE was looking for a new home for Monday Night Raw. It's airing on the USA Network at the moment. That contract will be up in September of this year. I'm pretty sure. And the WWE naturally is looking for money for this. They're looking for television for rights fees or. They were looking for an increase from their previous one, which was already arguably value um, overpaying them. And this has been coming for a little bit. Um, TV rights aren't quite what they used to be. Uh, all a lot of different sporting organizations are feeling this. This is not just a professional wrestling thing. This is something we need to pay attention to for the UFC when their deal with ESPN is coming up in the near future. Um, NFL has been experimenting with... Um, games on Prime Video streaming. Uh, I think Prime got the rights to, the matter of the exclusive rights to every one of the regular season baseball games for the Kansas City Royals for this year. So, long story short here, January 2025, um, Raw is moving exclusively in the United States and Canada to Netflix. Um... Outside of the United States, I believe SmackDown will be there. Um, SmackDown's rights are going to be coming up soon as well. This is worth something like $5 billion over 10 years. Guarantee of... I, the guarantee was either 3 or 5. Um, 
the hilarity, by the way, of Netflix acquiring this and then canceling Raw after three seasons, like they've done with so many of their scripted things, I would laugh so hard. But I'm weird like that. I think the I think the guarantee was the guarantee was three or five. Forgive me, I can't remember which one. It was one of those two, and it could go up to twenty. So there is some play here for how they perform, how are all parties feeling, yada yada, the usual stuff. So that's a that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money they're getting from Netflix. Um, no word yet on what's going to happen to Raw between the end of again when it ends in September. I think it was September. Yeah, it, September. If I'm wrong and it's August, then forgive me. But um, no word on what they're going to do between September and January because USA ain't going to air it. But we'll find out what they're going to do. I mean, they could spend a dude. They could totally just spend a couple of months live streaming on YouTube for that before moving to Netflix, and I'm not sure if they will or not, I'm just saying they could. So, big deal, a lot of money, new home for that brand if you care about professional wrestling, and I care in as much as I'm paid to care, so, (laughs) Um, that was a big deal, and it's important to pay attention to for the UFC, because, again, rights are not what they used to be, the UFC the bulk of the UFC's positive revenue comes from their what they get paid from ESPN. In fact, assuming they make their... They get paid so much from ESPN, all they have to do is make sure they hit their mandatory minimum of, of shows and they're profitable for the rest of the year. Like That, that will cover all their operating expenses, basically. Um, so they might... They're going to be looking for something at least similar when that deal comes due. Again, it's not immediately, but it's a couple of years out, and that's time to start thinking about that stuff, right? So if the WWE on Netflix is very successful, again, SmackDown could easily follow. Um, That wouldn't be terribly surprising. Uh, And if that's a win... If you've already got a good working relationship with essentially one half of your company, bringing the other half over is not out of the question, is it? So, that was the good news. Then came the bad news. So, I talked a little bit um, back in 2022. So, like, 2021, 2022... 2021, I, w- I want to say, Vince McMahon, the um, president, CEO, chairman of the board, I forget whatever number of titles he had in WWE for a long time. He be- he ran the place. It was basically, he was in charge. He answered to a board of directors. Like, again, there was a modern corporate structure in place, but he was in charge. And... There were... There was a lot of fan discontent because Vince... Even if you just look at the product, like I'm, I'm going to, I promise to get to my point here. There was a lot of fan discontentment about some of Vince's booking habits, some of his production foibles, just Vince's vision of professional wrestling and his presentation. And then in 20, I want to say it was 2021, because he, he came back in 22. 
But in 2021, there was a a story that broke in the Wall Street Journal about a lot of hush money paid by Vince that was allegedly misappropriated using corporate funds to... I'm trying to word this carefully because I don't want to get myself in legal hot water here, but to sum up the assumptions here, Vince behaved badly with women, mostly, to the best of my knowledge, and then would get them to sign non-disclosure agreements in exchange for money. Now, my stance on this goes as follows. One, on the moral side of things, I find this abhorrent. I'm, I've talked about this a little bit on occasion. I am a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I am not... We don't believe in either premarital or extramarital sexual contact of any kind. Um, and we take sexual sins and transgressions very, very seriously. It's one of the worst things you can do. Um, not the worst, but one of. And so, on a moral level, I find cheating on your wife and then paying someone to not say anything about it pretty reprehensible. I... I would even I would make the claim that even ethically this is a bad idea. This is a bad mode of being. Ethically, it's bad. I acknowledge there's a minor bit of debate there on the ethics of it. But the long and the short of this is, if it's Vince's money, what he's doing here is not illegal. Um, and again, it's not illegal. It's not illegal to cheat on your wife. It's not illegal to then decide to enter into a voluntary agreement with someone else for their quiet in exchange for money, assuming you have not done anything illegal. So, if you're, if, again, this is not horribly uncommon. I find it disgusting, but it's not uncommon as a general practice, right? So that story breaks. Vince retires. He steps down and... The story kind of blows over for a few different reasons. One is a lack of specificity. Two is kind of what I laid out. Like, there's a, there was kind of a consensus that came to that, okay, look, Vince is old. He's a little gross. He's maybe a bit of a liability. Let's use this opportunity. Vince, you know, go retire. Enjoy your money. Leave things as they are, and let's hope this doesn't get worse. So, between, again, kind of between, all right, this is gross, but if he's not illegally appropriating funds, he's not really doing anything illegal. There was that. And, again, it's just kind of, it was a non-trivial deal, but Vince put his head down said the right things, the other people around there said the right things, and it kind of blew over. And Vince then poked his head back up and basically forced his way back into his old job as chairman of the board. And immediately, like immediately when he came back into power, his daughter Stephanie quit. And that raised some red flags for a lot of us. 
Um, there was a bit of a question for a while about whether or not Stephanie's husband, uh, Triple H, really in Paul Levesque, was going to leave as well because he was basically in, he's basically Vince's successor as a gen, in general here, especially on the purely wrestling side of things, running production, booking, etc., etc., etc. And he's been and so there was some thought like is he going to go too? And he didn't. Um, but there was a thought. The the basic premise, what it wound up being, feels like Vince came back because there were rumors that WWE was going to sell to Endeavor, who owned the UFC. Turned out to be true. Endeavor bought WWE, merged it with the UFC, created TKO, and Vince obtained a prominent position within uh, the hierarchy there. I forget his exact title, but he was near the top of... TKO group. And, well, it turns out that story hadn't completely blown over. So earlier this week, um, one of the women who had kind of been not named in that Wall Street Journal piece, but was ref, but like she's one of the people that was being discussed. um, She came out and got very specific and very public with accusations against Vince. Now, the fact that she was able to do so because, allegedly, she was going to be paid $3 million to not talk about what happened to her. And Vince then, like, didn't pay up. (laughs) Well, funny thing about a legally binding agreement, if either company, if someone violates it, it, the whole thing becomes null and void. So, for example, if you and I sign an agreement where you're not going to talk about something, I'm going to pay you money. If you talk about it, I no longer have to pay you the money. Well, by the same token, if I don't pay you the agreed upon sum, our NDA is no longer binding. You can talk. And the, the poetic nature of Vince being undone by being light with the envelope after and if dude 30 years ago 40 years ago when Vince started buying up territories with promises of payouts that were never as good as they as he said somehow we're back to that same thing biting him in the butt so if you want the whole story of what this woman um Janelle Grant I believe is her name um, went through. If you want her recitation of events, it's public. There's um, text message threads and screenshots, and it's not just that she and Vince engaged in um, uh, sexual things. There was some specifics about what Vince might have had proclivities for. There was the sharing of stuff with other people. There was the where we're he's really getting into trouble here is basically Vince using her as a bargaining chip for other people. So there she alleges that a um, WWE wrestler and former UFC fighter was told, hey, we can, you know, arrange a meetup if you'll re-sign with the, with the WWE. 
yeah, that's um, that's human trafficking, technically. And uh, it's gross. And there's a lot of detail that I am not going to go into here. Look it up if you're so inclined. Just be warned, it's... The woman does not... She, uh, she was not shy about sharing specifics, and... That's kind. That's part of what is what led to what happened here, because the sort of general notion that a very rich, very powerful, and Vince—it's always been known. Vince is a little bit damaged. Um, individual is engaged in infidelity and paying to cover it up. Like, congratulations. Like, in other news, water wet. Like that happens. The when. When the specifics started coming out, some of which involves um, fecal matter, among other things, um, yeah, you ain't gonna just duck and cover your way out of this one, buddy. So, I'm again, I'm not going into any more specifics here, not. Not because I'm squeamish. I'm not. I just... I, I don't think it's a good use of anyone's time. Um, so that came out. Now, Vince denies this. Um, he... he so for the record, Vince McMahon denies these allegations. And, will, and says he plans on defending himself, blah, blah, blah. But... Here's the thing. This news came out, and like eight hours later, or 12 hours, one of the big sponsors of the WWE pay-per-view or premium live event or whatever the whatever they're calling it these days, the Royal Rumble, which took place Saturday, Slim Jim called up and said, yeah, no. Um, we are not going to do business with you while Vince McMahon is there. And losing sponsorship money like that is a good way to actually get things to happen. So Vince publicly announced, again, I deny the allegations, but I am resigning. He no longer has anything to do with TKO or WWE or anything. And I have to talk about this a little bit because TKO owns the UFC, too. And here's the other thing about this. So, I don't know, do I want to talk about Vince first? Let me talk about Vince first. Um, If what was described here is accurate about Vince, then I hope the appropriate weight of the law hits him. I really do. I don't have a lot of sympathy for engaging in that kind of conduct. Uh, even if the even if everything he'd done had been like completely above board and was just hey this is a woman I slept with, and yeah I've got a maybe I've got a little bit of a weird fetish or two, but she consented I consented and et voila like that's the end of it. I might I hold that in very low regard personally and for a lot of reasons, but that like that's just. I don't know, I I hate to say that's just life, because it shouldn't be. But 
Vince would not be the first person, male or female for that matter, in a position of authority with money who stepped out on his spouse and then paid someone to not talk about it and maybe even has a weird thing or two that they do in the bedroom. And But once again, like if you get to the point where it's just, okay, here's what it is, and the other person goes, yeah, right, then what, you know, what am I going to, what are you going to do, right, like, there's, that's not worth yelling about, um, using a human being as a bargaining chip in negotiation, or sharing, explicit, or, um, compromising details about that person with people around you for a lark or people around you enabling your behavior and knowing about it which it's alleged that a lot of people did and even just logically a lot of people had to know about some about this stuff say nothing of and here's the other thing if this had been just like out of nowhere with Vince maybe you kind of go okay what but there have been, Vince has been honest about some of the stuff that he's engaged in. But there have been, there's been so many, like, there's so many instances of smoke signals, right? And whether smoke, there's fire kind of thing. For so long, like, if you want my personal opinion about whether or not, like, what transpired, what she alleges is what happened, I wouldn't be surprised. I think it's more likely she's telling the truth than not. And anyone who knew about this and enabled it needs... Vince being gone is a step. Anyone who knew about this and enabled it needs to go. Um... A few weeks, a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, long time, like chief of production for live television for WWE, Kevin Dunn resigned. He'd been there forever and was a well-known Vince guy. And I don't mean that to say like in a big corporation, in a corporate structure, people of power, groups form. It doesn't always necessarily have to be nefarious. Um, this one probably was, but when I say he was a Vince guy, I don't mean to imply that everyone who had some degree of loyalty to Vince or who agreed with him was automatically some kind of bootlicking sycophant. Um, but Don, he doesn't surprise me. Um, Vince's lawyer almost certainly knew. I don't know what his whether he has a position with it. He might have been the corporate lawyer, actually. Um, it's alleged that a few different people higher up in the company knew several people, um, former head of talent relations, or he might still be head of, um, is alleged, um, John Laurinaitis. That one wouldn't surprise me at all. And there's a, a bunch of people. And again, if you can't allow the structures and systems that permitted this to continue and it's never just one guy not if that guy's in charge um there will probably need to be a house cleaning 
over there, and it frankly is overdue, for being honest. Um, Vince is. I'm gonna quote a wrestling sort of a like pundit personality commentator. His name's Brian Zane. He does the Wrestling with Regret channel. Um, I'm just going to kind of quote him when he signed off his video about this with with respect to Vince. Because I, I say this because it's impossible to imagine what professional wrestling looks like without Vince. Um, there's... And it's very difficult to disentangle positives that bad people do and even people like i have i also have kind of a hard time believing that vince is nothing but a terrible person i'm not this is not me sticking up for vince mcmahon by the way this is a general sentiment i have about probably 95 percent of the human population there are bad there are people who do bad things there are bad people but i i have a hard time imagining that that certain people are entirely bad. Vince might be mostly bad. In fact, I would argue he's mostly bad. But there's there's positives to what he did, and there's people around him who were probably positively affected by him. And I, again, how do you square that with everything else? I don't know. That That's something you have to do. Um, but I phrase it that way, I, I, I frame it that way, so that when I say the following, and I'm just going to quote Brian Zane here, Goodbye, Vince. Enjoy your retirement. You earned it. Now don't come back. Now why do I bring this up? I'm not trying to get in a bunch of pro wrestling talk on my MMA show here, I promise. I bring this up for not just the reason that this is going to, that it affects the company that owns UFC. I would like to, if you don't mind, put on my prognostication hat a little bit here. The parallels between Vince McMahon and Dana White have long, long been apparent. Now, I am not going to sit here and accuse Dana White of anything um, because I have no evidence. I'm just going to say, statistically, there's a very, very, very good chance that we as MMA fans in the next five to ten years, probably, somewhere in that range, are going to have to have the same kind of reckoning about Dana White. Not for the same things, would be my hunch, but a similar reckoning. Um, and look, man, I Dana already had his first major scandal last year when 2023 kicked off with Dana White and his wife getting into a slap fight. Um... And Dana weathered that storm for a couple of reasons. Not the least of which is there's enough context in the video to uh, muddy the waters a little bit. I think I talked about this when I talked about that incident. So let me reiterate for anyone who might be new here. 
I have a very low tolerance for domestic violence. Um, extraordinarily low. But I also don't think it's unfair or unreasonable to acknowledge that a couple getting into a physical altercation, which this was, is not the same as coming home every day and for no reason beating the crap out of your wife. Those are not the same thing. Neither is good. Neither is good at all. But they're not equal. And again, I don't think it's unfair to say that they're not the same thing. So the fact that what we saw was Dana and his wife hitting each other instead of his wife cowering in a corner while he beats the crap out of her and yells at her, help. It like Helped is the wrong word, but it had the latter happened, we would not be where we are right now with Dana White. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. One of those two things, and everyone knows this, it's just difficult to articulate because it sounds like you're being an apologist for domestic violence, and I'm not. I just have to be honest and acknowledge that not all of these are equal. It, I'm, I'm not saying any of them are good. They're all terrible. They're all terrible. But pretending that they're all the same is just disingenuous. So that is the fact that Dana White also, rumor has it, has convinced the people at Endeavor that the UFC will not function without him, which is a load of crap, but he's convinced. People thought the WWE wouldn't run without Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon has had more than his share of scandals. Vince McMahon, there's, if you think there haven't been, you know, instances of smoke about Dana as some of his behavior, they're out there. Again, how much truth is there to them? I don't know. I don't know. You can actually make smoke without much fire. You can make a lot of smoke without much fire, depending on how you do it. I'm not... So I'm not saying any... I don't know anything about Dana. Never met the man. Leaving that, leaving that aside, all I'm saying is there's been too many parallels between those two guys. Too many parallels between how the WWE does business and how the UFC does business. Too many parallels between people like Vince in more their stories about similar, maybe not as graphic or as recorded as Vince's, from other promoters of other things. That's there's just way the there's way too much mounting up here for me not to sit here and say to everybody there's a very good chance we're going to have to have a reckoning about Dana White at some point in the near future. I might be wrong. And I'm not saying, I'm not declaring anything to you. I'm just saying you would be foolish to discount the, the probability that we're going to wind up doing what professional wrestling is doing with Vince right now MMA will not will be doing it with Dana. They there's a very good chance, very good chance. I hope I'm wrong for what for the record. I hope I'm wrong, partially because less people behaving in that way is a good thing for everyone. So, just gonna close that one out with that. All right, um, we should be 
quicker through the last of these, so thank you for indulging me on that point, everybody. I appreciate it. So, in our bit of pointless drama for the week in the MMA side of things, so John Anik was on his podcast, uh, his one with Kenny Florian, I believe, and expressed frustration. This is in the wake of UFC 297. He expressed frustration that there was so much negativity, so much uninformed negativity, um, largely related to Sean Strickland losing a close decision to Dracus Duplessis. But a lot of people doing the, you know, being very negative, being very outspoken, and flooding his avenues with a lot of that. And in his frustration, he expressed he doesn't know how much longer he's going to keep doing this, assuming the circumstances don't change. And he's a little bit sick of MMA only appealing or only drawing in the lowest common denominator. I'm paraphrasing, not quoting. And people got a little bit pissy about this. Idiots got pissy about this. Anyone with a modicum of both self-awareness and ability to look around the MMA space knows John Anik spoke nothing but the truth, and he was not nearly as vitriolic as he could have been. Because boy, could he have been. And then, like a day and a half later, John Anik apologizes. And... (sighs) This bothers me. One, I don't think anyone should be penalized for telling the truth, as a general rule. Two, I really don't think he said anything out of... In this particular case, I don't think he said anything out of bounds. He expressed frustration. Understandable. He made it specific about a group of fans, maybe with an outsized voice because of the nature of the internet and social media. An outside, but a group of fans, making his work life difficult, making his personal life difficult, and was annoyed about how MMA is being promoted and who it's drawing in. What he didn't say, here's the other thing about this all he said was lowest common denominator. That's all he said. There was no racial component. There was no political component. There was no religious component. There was none of that. None of that was present. You want to know how I know he's right, by the way, about a lot of lowest common denominator stuff going on in the UFC and their promotion? What's Dana White's old... Some of you newer fans may not have been around long enough to remember this, but allow me to express a... Let me to regurgitate, if you will, an old chestnut that Vince would trot out from time to time when trying... This was back before MMA was legal in all 50 states, before it was on a major network. He was trying to sell it. And he was doing the... One of his lines was always, this could be the biggest sport in the world. And anyone who knows anything about international sport kind of rolled their eyes at him, and he... He would support his his proposition there with, okay, let's imagine we're at an intersection or something similar. 
one corner, you got a basketball game going. One corner, you got soccer. One corner, you got football. On the fourth corner, a fight breaks out. Where does everybody go? He's not wholly wrong there in that, again, there's a lot of nuance that goes into this position that that glosses over, but he's trying to defend the existence of the sport and sell it as something with upward potential. And he was right in that respect. But if if your selling point is we are the... the lowest end of the attention hierarchy. And let's be very clear, combat sports is there. There's a lot of skill that goes into it, and I'm not dismissing the fighters, but that, that's what this is. It's, it's kind of like the lowest, basest, most visceral, animalistic, least enlightened kind of thing you can do is watch two people bludgeon each other. And that's who it started attracting. And this is compounded by the UFC, in a lot of respects, courting a half of the... I'm going to reference America here, but this is goes way beyond that. A half of the populace that feels like a lot of other sports avenues are either too political in general or aligned with politics or cultural movements, etc., that they don't agree with. Now, I'm not here to weigh in on the on that. I'm, I'm really not here to weigh in on which side of which thing anyone should fall on. The reality is no politi- the American system is almost broken because we only have two political parties of any note, and that divides things and then in very, very unhealthy ways. But no political party, United States perspective here, is going to be right about everything. I don't think I've ever actually voted straight party. Um, certainly not on specific like bills or amendments or anything like that. Um, probably not even, no, not even with um, candidates on different things. My voting history is immaterial. I'm also not party affiliated. I'm not a member of any political party. And, but, there was a lot of pushback that various other sports organizations got some fairly, some very unfairly. Some were nonsense spun up to... Look, man, Colin Kaepernick deciding he's not going to stand for the national anthem rubs me the wrong way, personally. But I understood the motivation, and I... I was willing... A lot of people reacted a lot more viscerally than I did. Again, I don't like it, but I wasn't going to, like, I was not up in arms over it. But this started, if you guys will remember, cast your mind back to the dark, dark days when this was going on. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
This started coming up in every sport. You remember this one? You remember this one? Um, they accused someone of putting a noose in the garage of a uh, of a NASCAR pit because the driver was black. They, like, this was, and there's this like weird picture. They're like, oh no, look at that! They're clearly threatening something. Like, that's a handle. That's a rope handle to pull the garage door down. You insufferable. Ugh. But this spun up. You don't recall. This spun up. And a giant chunk of the audience in the United States and elsewhere, and because the culture war has subsumed everything, elsewhere matters, decided they were sick of it. They were sick of the nonsense talking points. They were sick of, if you'll pardon the quote, um, bitchy millionaires complaining. They were sick of a lot of this stuff. And I'm not saying anyone was right or wrong to feel how they felt about all that. And again, I am not going to weigh in on all of that because you'd have to go. I think the only fair way to do it would be case by case. I'm not going to be here for 20 hours talking about various scandals and their merits in like those weird years. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do it. Because, it, again, it's kind of pointless. But the UFC saw something of a market opening with, hey, there's a bunch of guys pissed off. I say guys because it, it is mostly male, but substitute people if you feel so inclined. We can kind of court this by claiming, by being pro-America, because we're based in the United States, and by espousing free speech when everyone else is starting to police it. Now, I yelled yesterday, I yelled last week about the hypocrisy about some of how the UFC claims to espouse free speech relative to their behavior, but I'm going to leave that aside. I'm just talking about the marketing. And this started attracting people who know nothing about the sport, but like the cultural slash political alignment they perceive to go on here. Now, I don't care if you come to the sport and you want to learn and you want to know and you want to engage with it. I don't really care how you got here. Be willing to learn and try not to be a jerk. That's that's really all it boils down to. And we got a lot of people right now talking who can't do that. This is made... This is exacerbated. I'm not going to say worse because that sort of implies a moral judgment that I'm not trying to make too much here. I'm trying to describe the setting rather than denounce a giant portion of the fan base as, you know, um, you might quote the former future president of the United States, undesirable. I'm, I'm not trying to do that. I'm trying to express what I'm seeing. Sean Strickland became kind of the avatar for a bunch of disaffected people. He's outspoken. He's over... Dude? The fact that Sean Strickland is not in jail is a miracle. If you look at where he comes from, 
the geographic location, the family situation, all of it. Statistically, that man should be dead or in jail, and he's not. He's got a girlfriend, wife. I don't know if they're married or not. They, um, he seems to have processed a lot of the bad things that happened to him. And I'm not going to say that. Like, I don't know if it's the healthiest way possible. I don't know that I would call him the healthiest person in the world. But good grief, considering who he could have been and statistically should have been, the man's a senator. He's an upstanding citizen. And, but he, he kind of became the unlikely hero for a lot of people who felt like he did, who might be dealing with some of the stuff he was dealing with, and might still be dealing with. I don't know, I don't know the ins and outs of Sean Strickland's mental health situation. And certainly for the... kind of the online punditry... And uh, the online punditry around this is a weird space because there's a subset of commentators on both ends of the political spectrum who will jump in feet first to anything they perceive they can get in on the culture war with. Now, this is a problem on both sides of the aisle because of Sean Strickland's alignment we're seeing it from the right side, the right wing side of things, politically, or culturally, or however you want to phrase that out. Uh, if you pay attention, you've all seen this on the left too. I, so I, so you understand, I'm not just trying to pick on one side here. I acknowledge this happens all the time on the other side. I'm talking about one this side because this is the side we're dealing with, not because it's the only side that does it. Okay, good. Thank you. Moving forward. So there's a lot of people just talking about how. Sean, you know, maybe Sean got screwed. He didn't get screwed. He lost a close fight. It happens. But there's just a lot of weird discourse, and naturally, because we're dealing with people who this may be their first time watching a close fight, and the guy they like lost, and what are we doing here? It's got to be reasons that are outside of just losing a close fight, and it's not, but they're just screaming into the void. And all John Anik did was say, this isn't great. I don't know how much longer I want to keep doing this job if these are the working conditions, or the conditions that are spun up around it. Sorry, that's true. I've... Here's the weird thing about MMA fans. Not just MMA fans, the sport of MMA. I've noted this in the past. It is... MMA fandom is designed to burn you out. I've been here for a while. Some people have been here longer than me, but I've been here for a while. I was watching for several years before I started writing for 411, and that was about 10 years ago. And I've been doing this for a long... I've been doing this for quite some time now. Again, there are people who've been around longer than I have. I do not claim supreme seniority, but... If you're newer, please uh, understand, I'm, I'm speaking from experience here. That's all I'm saying. MMA fandom burns out. Either because the fighters you like start downturning and retiring, or you try to follow everything and you it's not healthy. 
I watch too much MMA. There's people who watch more than me. I, I, I watch every fight on every UFC card. And there was a time when I was happy to do that. But I would have been doing that anyway. Now I do it because it's my job. I would still watch the sport. I would probably not dedicate six hours of my Saturday, every Saturday pretty much, to watching contender series debutantes against guy from BFE Arkansas. Shouldn't pick on Arkansas, but bear with me here. And they've got like less than 10 fights between them. Like, I'm not interested in that. It's, it's, it's really not interesting MMA most of the time. I would not be doing that. Um, that's where I am with MMA at the moment. Um, so just trust me when I say if you try to watch, you know, as much as you think, as much as a certain segment of the fandom will try to tell you should, you'll burn out. I've seen like four generations of fans. I saw the um, the tough guys from the Ultimate Fighter. I saw that boom. I saw the Brock Lesnar boom. I saw the Connor and Ronda boom. And now I'm seeing whatever we got going on now. And between each of those booms, there's valleys. I've been here for again, I've been here for a while. And part of the problem with this is that, uh, again, this is just anecdotal, but for whatever it's worth, of the people I started watching MMA with, and would, or when I was right, when I started writing and talking about it, um, none of them watch like I do anymore. And there's two that. I can kind of like rely on for some of the bigger fights to kind of either talk out my thought processes with, maybe break things down, etc. I When I started this, there was a group of like, I mean, this podcast used to have a panel. There were like five people on it at different points, and now it's just me. It'll burn you out, and we're dealing with another wave of fans, and I don't know what we're going to call them. Probably something derogatory, because the online community does that. People who came in with the Ultimate Fighter, they were I remember this. They were tough noobs. That's how we talked about people who came in from the reality show that basically jump-started the UFC. It was already around, but like jump-started its rise, right? We called them noobs. They were tough noobs. And most of them are gone now. But it just means that when new people come in, if they come in with their own little group, then they tend to gravitate and they all just kind of spin up in each other's spaces. They don't... It's harder to find in a meaningful... and engage with in a meaningful way the people who've been around the block a few times here and... Again, engage with them, talk with them, learn a bit about the history, learn a little bit about scoring criteria if you don't know what's up with that. Close fights, difference between robbery. Like, There's a lot of stuff here that just kind of... It doesn't get passed on. You know? 
part of the reason that like NFL like franchises in locations survive and thrive is the culture around them is passed on. And there's been periods of time in MMA when either the new people don't want to listen or they come in at a time when too many of the old heads have stopped. And the stuff that should be great about this sport and should be passed on and should be cultivated gets lost because there's not enough people around to pass it on. Newer people don't want to hear it and they have to learn, they wind up learning the hard way and now we're just, ah, it's frustrating. And it, it spins up so much negativity that I understand John Anna completely, and believe me, I am not one one thousandth as public a figure as he is in the MMA space. Not at all. John Anna had nothing to apologize for. He was not nearly as insulting as he could have been or other people have been, justified or unjustified, in how they ref- uh, they've talked about this. And... Guys, anyone out there potentially going, you know, good? You people. You, I'm, I'm going to sit you down here, pat you on the head a little bit. Go back. Watch fights that were called by Mike Goldberg. Understand that John Anik is a godsend, a hard worker, and the best guy to do that job that the UFC has ever had. I lived through Goldberg. I don't want to go back to that. Goldberg served a purpose for a limited period of time and then stuck around way too long. I did a, I did a bit of analysis about this once because I was kind of thinking, like, how did we get here with him? And because I, I would, if there's certain fighters I would do tape study for, and if you go back far enough, some of these guys have been around at a started at a time when Goldberg was still there. So I would occasionally re-listen to his commentary while doing tape study, and I realized that, you know, Goldberg was fine enough-ish for a period of time, but he never evolved. His understanding of the game never evolved. And, yeah, that's an aside on Mike Goldberg. And to the people doing like, no, they've been grooming Dominic Cruz for this or something. Like, you people don't understand how this works. Dominic Cruz and John Anik do not do the same job. They're commentators, sure, but they are not doing the same job. Dominic Cruz is there for analysis and color. That is not the same as the play-by-play lead announcer. Those are two different roles. At the moment, we've got a couple of guys who might be able to step in for John Anik when the time comes. Brendan Fitzgerald seems to be, he's a pretty generic sportscaster, but he seems to be coming along okay. Um, John Gooden, unfortunately, not getting a lot of the opportunities that I think he should. He's quite good. But play-by-play is hard. And it's really hard in MMA. 
But guys like Cormier and Cruz and Felder and Bisbing and Laura Sanko, who's great. She might be the best they have at the moment. But all of those people, they don't do what Anik and Fitzgerald and Gooden are doing. And it's, uh, it's okay if you don't understand that because it's one of those things that's you under you would you would struggle to understand why you didn't like it if it changed but those are not the same job and if you if you've never sat down and either thought about that deeply enough or had it explained to you it might not click immediately but believe me those are not the same job be grateful john anik is here and I I don't know. The current new wave of fans is trying my patience a little bit. And you know what? They are not unique in that. I remember the first wave of Connor fans, and gah, that man's fan base is still insufferable. They were worse. I remember the a lot of the very well-meaning, but again, just new-to-the-scene people who came in with Ronda. Because Ronda brought in a whole new audience, and okay, we gotta we gotta educate the new people, and that's okay. It's not the worst thing in the world as long as everyone's, you know, they're willing. And to the old heads who wind up doing too much of the, well, I've been here forever, ergo I'm the only one who's right. No, you, this is a dialogue. I'm not going to sit here and read you the code of conduct, and you must do this. Blah blah blah. More than happy to take in stuff from. Look, there's stuff about, again, the Connor family, especially the Irish, that they kind of brought over, and I'm glad it stuck around. There's So it's never just one thing. This is a dialogue, and I'm just at the point where the current sort of, again, in crop, uh, influx of new fans is trying. And I legitimately hope that we move past it, that... They're able to learn. We're able to take from them some of the best things and try to improve the sport. But the fact that the MMA fan base, for a long time, this was the biggest fight. If you're newer, you don't understand this. The fight to be mainstream, the fight to be accepted, the fight to be legal everywhere. That's how long I've been around. Again, not to say I've been around forever, but... I, when I came in, this wasn't legal in all 50 states. And I don't just mean New York holding out because of corruption and a dispute with the Fertitta family over unions. I remember plenty of other states were like, hey, we got such and such. We got such and such. That was a cause for celebration. I remember this. Uh, I do. <sighs> but the fight was to be mainstream, right? That was the fight. We were... Uh, it was underground and it was fighting for legitimacy and fighting for its life and fighting to be on pay-per-view and fighting to get a network to carry it. And boy, we're on Spike TV now. That's better than nothing. As we got there, then it was on Fox. Now it's on ESPN and occasionally on ABC. And every week you can find this stuff and it's international and it's a freaking... Like, billion dollars in revenue and it's on the new york stock exchange as part of this like 
$20 billion conglomerate with the WWE. And guys, we can't get more mainstream. Fist fighting will never be more mainstream than this, ever. We won. And instead of celebrating, we're bitching. And we're insular and we're surly. And then, oh, God. This is what happens when you carry a chip on your shoulder too long. This is what happens when you get married to the idea of being the underdog. This is what happens when you can't see that the race is won and you got you, you try to keep running. You build up some other boogeyman that's bigger than you and now this is what we got to fight and rah, rah, rah. Oh, God, stop. Just stop. That's not a fight. You're fighting yourself. You're tilting at windmills. It's nothing. This should be better than that, which is a weird thing to say about combat sports, but for crying out loud, we should be better than this. We should be better than this. We should be better than flooding the best play-by-play guy this sport has ever seen with negativity and bullshit to the point where he's frustratingly expressing, I don't know if I want to keep doing this anymore. (sighs) And you know what? I'm almost... I can almost understand the fighters being as sensitive... The fighters being as sensitive as they are. I can almost understand that. They, they, they are underpaid, they are underleveraged, they are exploited, they break their bodies in training camps for, again, horribly underpaid, put in gobs and gobs of work, and always feel like they're under-acknowledged and underappreciated, and maybe they are, that, that will vary case by case. To the point where every little bit of criticism they overreact to, and most fighters do. And to that I say, one, look at how any number of sports outlets talk to or treat major stars in the NFL or the NBA. Well, you guys are soft on this. You're just soft. And that's okay. That's almost okay in some respects. I don't like how you handle it, but being sensitive to it, fine, whatever. That's a personal thing, whatever. But... The amount of like fans who kind of latch onto this as well. Commentary was saying that he wasn't very good at this, therefore they're biased. Like, no, that sometimes they're. J- I'm. I don't have a problem calling out commentary bias when I find it. But if they say this fighter's not good about moving his head and he's getting hit because of it, and it's going to be a problem. And he's not moving his head and he's getting hit a lot, and it's a problem. What do you want? Do you want nothing but your participation trophy? Is that it? You want nothing but smoke blown up your backside for like, no, you're great, you're the best, you're clearly going to be champion when you're a, you've gone two and four in the UFC and we're making one last stand, kicking off the prelims, but boo-hoo, they're mean to me. This is your life and I get it and you have sacrificed way too much and you are not compensated fairly for it and you have nothing but my sympathies on that respect it is not the job of the commentary team the fans or the punditry to soft pedal you 
and because everything gets so fragile and, and not to beat this particular drum but if you're gonna be this fragile about some of this stuff and don't get me wrong there are some i've got some issues wherein you push the right button i don't i will snap snaps a bit strong but we all have those things and i'm not unsympathetic to that i'm really not but if it's about everything it's about every little perceived slight and insult and injury to your person and your perceived honor and we must now fight to the death over it and we get into a screaming hissy fit online i'm sorry you're soft and in the same fashion like overly ignoring or mocking or diminishing human suffering in the name of like the worst attributes of stoicism is not good or healthy there is a balance here we can all find you'd like to think but well here we are with another batch of another incoming batch of fans <sighs> i don't know guys it's some days man i said at the top of the show like this is this is never the best time of the year for me anyway and now on top of that i'm looking at this and it's just it's ridiculous please stop with this please stop with this if you don't have an incredibly specific bit of constructive criticism i don't know that the internet needs you to be screaming whatever into the void it's one of the reasons i've dialed back elements of my criticism because i want it to be if i'm going to criticize it i do think it's somewhat incumbent upon me to have some way of improving or fixing it because constructive criticism is useful and what makes a lot of things go round screaming that no so and so was robbed you suck is not helpful or useful to anyone including the person screaming into the void however potentially cathartic they might try and make it feel it is usually just a mask for something else and congratulations you didn't actually fix anything i say that as a guy who has on occasion gotten heated on this podcast and frequently doesn't solve anything it's a nice emotional release the catharsis is a real thing but the vast majority of the time unless i've literally been holding on to what i want to say for a while like 20 minutes after i'm done if i was using this as a distraction and an outlet for something else something else is still there so everyone's screaming about sean strickland getting robbed whatever's actually pissing you off most of the time is still going to be there when you wake up and all you're doing is getting lost on the road to sala salu wow i have not referenced dr seuss on this show maybe ever huh there's a weird one for you if you haven't read i had trouble in getting to sala salu do so all of dr seuss is good all right that's my bit there that went longer than i expected it to so let's move on then shall we um ufc 300 we got a couple of updates two new fights juan jessica andrage and marina rodriguez fine fight 
Um, Andrade, I'm not saying she's never had a boring fight, but they're rare. And Rodriguez is watchable more often than not. So, okay, thumbs up. Not huge, but a thumbs up. The shocker, and boy, was this a shocker. Um, Holly Holm will be on the card against Kayla Harrison at Bantamweight. Um, if you're not familiar with Kayla Harrison, she is the first woman to win an Olympic gold medal in judo uh, from the United States. Judo's been an Olympic sport for a long time. First American woman to win a gold medal in judo. And she did it twice in a row. Just a remarkable feat. Because judo is terrible on your body. Competitive judo for long periods of time. Terrible for your body. More hobbyist level, it's still, like, you're still going to get banged up from time to time. But, you know, most of the time for, again, hobbyist level, you're not going as hard for the obvious reasons. Um, but she transitioned to MMA, had a pretty good run through the PFL, and had a fight in Invicta. Um, she's making her way to the UFC, and I don't know how she's going to make 135. That's a, she, Kayla Harrison is a large woman. She is... Uh, she is bricked up. That woman is yoked. You've never seen her. She is extraordinarily muscular. She fought... Her judo career was at like 170. Um, Most of her PFL run was at 155. Uh, She had, I think, one or two fights at featherweight, but that was a non-trivial cut. Cutting 10 more pounds off of that, I... Look, if she's signing on the dotted line, then she thinks she can make it, and... God bless, man. That weight cut is going to be one of the most miserable experiences ever. Like, that's just... I I don't know how she's going to do it. I don't. But she's signed. She's now with the UFC, and she's going to give it a go. And I... I don't dislike her chances against Holly. Um, but, yeah. So, Kayla... On UFC 300, and that's a heck of a thing. Minor note related to this. Speaking of the new influx of fans, um, there's a segment of the MMA community, people who talk, kind of like I do, who are now complaining about the UFC trying to shove women's MMA down our throats. Look, I've been critical of several female fighters and, at times, the state of women's MMA. I have. Because of the evidence. If you're complaining about these two fights being on UFC 300, I'm sorry you hate women. You have a misogyny problem. Or you're a flat-out snake oil salesman trying to outrage farm. One of the two. That's it. There's... Okay. There might possibly be a third explanation that you're just so dumb and so new to this space that you don't understand what you're saying. If you fall into that third category, take my word for the following. Look, Holly Holm is not the most exciting fighter, but Kayla Harrison debuting against her is a relatively big deal. 
Jessica Andrade, I could probably, if I went back through her entire UFC career, spanning three weight classes and a lot of years at this point, including her title win, loss, and then a rematch, like, I could probably count on one hand the number of boring fights that woman has had. And you're going to sit here and pretend that she's here because of the agenda? I don't have time for your stupidity. I don't. You're an unserious person. And you do not deserve time or consideration. Those two fights are on this card because the UFC thinks they will make the card better, full stop. Will they? I don't know. Um... Kayla and Holly might not be good. Now, I'll freely admit, this is a it's a big deal. The actual fight might kind of suck. That's throwing that out there, that's possible. Andrade and Rodriguez, I have a lot of faith in not sucking. I have a lot of faith in that being a good fight. But now there's the screaming weirdos who are, again, either engage in some form of flimflammery, misogynistic, or inexperienced and stupid to a staggering degree. There's... Look, man, I... Go back, listen to my review of 297. I was hypercritical of the terrible fight between Raquel Pennington and Myra Buena Silva. I was critical of that in the preview. I was critical of that when it was announced. I was critical of it after the fact. There's no reason on paper to criticize these two fights being on this card. Stop it. Be serious about this if you want to be in this space. If all you want to do is scream and make an ass out of yourself on the internet... I can't stop you, but I would strongly encourage you to find something better to do with your time than actively make everything around you worse. All right. And you know what? To that same end, I'm going to say it that way because I'm going to go out on a limb and say if you out there, if any of you listening to this happen to be one of these people who are in their orbit... You can do better. No one here is setting an unreasonable an unreasonable bar. We're just saying you're falling below it. And we don't, I in particular, don't need more screeching howler monkeys in this space. There's enough of them at any given UFC event. Just listen for the woos. Drunken primates. Please be better. I don't mind. I would like more intelligent looks at this sport. I would like more analysis. I would like more people whose other works I can view and learn from. Whose works I can read and learn from. I really would. And I'm betting at least one of those people out there is capable of that. Do that. Don't don't do the screaming about women being on UFC 300. Don't do that. There's no reason to. 
you demean yourself, you diminish the relevant space in the sport, and you should be better. Be better. All right, off my soapbox. That's what I got here. Um, let me check Twitter, see if anything crazy is broken. If not, we will do plugs and get out of here. Nothing new, so plugs. Last week, myself, Mark Radulich, and David Wright got together to talk Disenchantment, the final part, part five that aired in September of last year, because we are hip to it, baby. Um, mostly we talked about, um, the death of God, <laughs> sort of. We went down a weird rabbit hole, but a good discussion. Um, so give that a listen if you're so inclined. That was on a TV party. Um, Monday, Monday or Tuesday with this one? I think it's Monday. Uh, yeah, Monday. We will be doing a triple feature of Oscar nominees. This will be Past Lives, Maestro, and The Holdovers. The only one of those that I uh, wholeheartedly recommend you all watch is The Holdovers. So give that a watch if you can. It's a wonderful little gem of a movie. So we will give a review to all three of those as we approach the Oscars, now that the nominations are out. So tune in for that. Um, The usual spate of professional wrestling coverage, MLW, when they release stuff, I will review it. Um, WWE SmackDown on Friday as the Royal Rumble is behind us, and we are, according to them, officially on the road to WrestleMania. Minor bit of history, for the record. The um, the, w, the Royal Rumble was the first WWE slash WWF slash WWF event ever without a McMahon in charge of the product. That's a long tradition gone for the moment. Because, you know, Shane might come back, Stephanie might come back, I don't know, we'll see how that plays out. But, yeah, that's that's where we are with that. So, we'll be... Uh, I will be covering that, and then again, the UFC event on Saturday, so any and all of that, if you could follow, it's all in four, over at 411mania.com, either in the wrestling or MMA zones, respectively. And yeah, back here next week to review UFC on ESPN Plus 93, and, hang on, that is February 3rd, yeah, we will be previewing UFC on ESPN Plus 94, uh, Jack Hermanson and Joe Pfeiffer in your main event. That's a choice. What else is on that card? Um, Brad Tavares and Gregory Rodriguez could be fun. I tend to like Albert Duraev when he can get his stuff together. Danny Gay and Andre Feely's not bad. Um, anything on the prelims? I got a soft spot for Demir Hadzovic. Which is weird, but I do. Um, Loma Look Bunmi might not. She's usually worth watching. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of it. Um, but full preview next week, so come back for that. All right, that's it for me, everybody. Thank you as always. I appreciate the heck out of you. Stay safe out there and continue to be well, be safe, and behave. <laughs>